Good morning. Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and I am the lead pastor here, and it is a joy to be here with you. Uh, Whether or not everything has worked exactly the way that we want it to or not, God is present with us, and we can celebrate His presence, and we can celebrate the fact that God has called us together, and we can be in worship together. And it is very exciting for me to be here. If you are new here, I wanted to say a special welcome to you. I'm I'm glad that you are here. Uh, And after the worship service, I would love to get an opportunity to say hi to you. I will be right outside those doors, uh, and I would love to have a chance to say hi. Uh, If you're joining us online or via podcast, I'm excited that you're here with us as well. We've been talking about guardrails over the past few weeks, uh, and so we're going to do a recap here in just a minute, uh, which everybody by this point, if you've been here all all, all of the time that we've been doing this, you probably are like, well, I know. So join in. Say it with me. It's going to be fun. Uh, We're going to have a good time. Uh, We're talking about guardrails which is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limits areas. It keeps us on the road. It keeps us from uh, driving off the road, and it keeps us from uh, having injury and accidents that, that would be because we get off the road. Now, a guardrail exists in the safety zone, not in the danger zone. It's on the safe side. So when you hit the guardrail, you know, hey, I shouldn't be here, but it's not someplace that's going to cause problem or permanent damage. It will reduce the amount of damage that you have. So what we've been saying is guardrails direct and protect us. And the reason that when, if you're brand new here, you're thinking, why in the world are you talking about guardrails? If you're new here, uh, you don't know this, but in life, just like on the road, we can use guardrails. So the road is not the only place that we need guardrails. We can use guardrails in so many areas. We've talked about using guardrails in our friendships, using guardrails in our intimate relationships, using guardrails in our finances, and that's where we are today. So uh, if you're here for the first time, congratulations. Uh, You get to come to a sermon like this. Uh, It's going to be a good time. We, uh, I want to start by letting everybody know I, I, have, I have a problem, um, and, and I want to share, and maybe some of you are like, oh, uh, here we go. Uh, but my problem is this. I know too much what other people have. And quite frankly, it makes me want it too. So uh, I know too much about what other people own and what is available out there, not just through advertising and things like that. Now, normally, this is where I talk about my truck. Uh, I'm I'm preparing to uh, own a truck that hasn't been given to me yet, but uh, we're waiting. Uh, If anybody wants to give me a truck after church, I'll be right outside those doors. I I will make it a priority to visit with you. Um, I'm just playing. Don't give me a truck. but but what what I what the reality is that I spend more time trying to figure out what so here's here's the deal uh, I bought a new house and I was like my daughter isn't here how am I going to decorate this thing I've got some stuff and so I went on the website that is the worst website and also the best for this kind of thing it's a website called Pinterest yeah. now some of you out there are going wow he Pinterest that's kind of cool. Uh, Some of you out there are like, I don't even know what the heck that is. So we're going to explain it. What Pinterest is, is you type in a title and it shows you pictures of what other people have done. It is so cool. Like right here, you can see this is my my landing page. And I was searching for how to decorate a fireplace. That's why there's 800 million fireplaces up there. Now I put in there how to decorate an angled fireplace because that's what I have. And normally you would expect that. So it's not perfect 
right? Because now there's bedrooms in there. I didn't ask for a bedroom. I don't have a fireplace in my bedroom. I'm not that cool. Um, I've seen those. They're really, no. Uh, so here's the deal. This is not an advertisement for you to go out to Pinterest to see what other people are doing, but it, it's, it's something that can let you know. I mean, this is, this, what it does for me is I can see what other people have done. Right now, my most recent thing is I have, I have decided that come this summer, I'm going to have a workbench. I'm going to build me a work. And so I was going to buy a workbench, but unfortunately workbenches are expensive. And, and so then I was like, well, what if I made a workbench? I'm kind of handy. I got tools. Uh, I can put something together. Now it's going to take me 800 hours to build a workbench, but you go on Pinterest and they show you all the plans. There was one yesterday. I'm not kidding. Yesterday it, it folds down and the legs come down and then it rolls around and it folds back. I was like, that's genius. And here's my problem is I'm spending time looking at what other people have and then I'm spending money and effort to duplicate it. Not because I need it, but because I want it. Not because I, I have some, some reason, real deep reason to do that, but just because I was like, oh, that looks really cool. I wish I could have. Don't get me started on building lightsabers because maybe I've done that. Um, I, 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 there's only so much nerdiness I'm willing to show on a single day, and we're already talking about Pinterest. So what my problem is is that I truly, I know too much about what other people have. And I wonder what benefit, what blessing I could have been if I didn't spend all of that energy and time and money and effort on myself, but I look to see, where, where, God, where do you really want me to put my, my effort? Where do you want me to put my energy? Where do you want me to put my time? And, and so I need guardrails in this area. And my guess is perhaps you could use some guardrails too. Uh, and the word on the street is <laughs> that the church is concerned about sex and only wants your money, and so we're proving them right. Last week we talked about sex, this week we're talking about money. It's going to be a great week. I'm excited that you are here, but we are not going to talk about money in the way that you want. I'm glad that the offering has already gone because I'm confident in saying this right now. I, this is not going to change anything in the way that you're giving today to church because we already did it. Ha! Ha! Um, <laughs> But the point is, this is, this is not a money... I'm not trying to tell you where to put your money. What we're going to talk about today is where to put your heart. And so that's, that's my goal. If you, it's not about getting out of debt. If you're in debt and you want some tips and tricks on how to get out of debt, uh, then I, you know, go online. There's 400 million... Th- we have some stuff on, our we- on the church website that will help you, uh, point you in, in good directions. If you're uh, trying to figure out how to consolidate debt, that was one of the, the things that I was like, this is why we need guardrails so we don't have to consolidate debt. But if you're trying to do that, there, there are websites out there. If you're trying to learn how to budget and do all of those things, there are websites out there. None of that is what we're going to be talking about today. What we're going to talk about today is a little bit different because you could be financially set not have any problems with your finances, and Jesus will look at you and recognize that your heart is still jacked up where it comes to your finance and your financial matters. Not because you're hurting, not because you're not, uh, you're, you're, you're not comfortable and you have enough, but because, because it's what your heart 
is after. What Suzanne talked about earlier uh, a little bit that we're going to be looking at today. Now, I want to start, I want to work through, we're going to be looking at the, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 6, verse 24 through 33. We're going to hit some different verses in there, but I wanted to invite you, take the Take some time this evening, this week, sometime, and read through this entire story because it's a story where Jesus is interacting with his disciples and with a crowd and telling them a little bit about themselves and and how to move in a new direction. And my hope is that we can be transformed by it. So if you have your Bibles with you, just go ahead and crack those things open. If you don't own a Bible and you would like one, we give those out for free here, right outside these doors. Uh, there are Bibles sitting on the, on the counter. Those are for you. Take one. Even if you already have one and you're like, I just wish I had a new Bible. Hey, they're right there. Take one with you. Because we believe that the Word of God is powerful and transformative. And if you spend time reading the Word of God you will encounter the living God and he can change your life forever. So hear this. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, uh, the first part of it. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And that can hold us up right there because we're like, well, I don't even have one master, so I'm in good shape, right? Or or I, I don't have any... No, nobody tells me what to do, right? The, the, this, the idea of master uh, kind of is something that, that we don't really recognize. And what Jesus is saying is not that you need to worry about uh, who rules over you on an earthly perspective, but he finishes with this. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. You will either end up loving the one or hating the other. It's, it's, it, you can't serve two masters. And, and what we're seeing here is that Jesus is not concerned about your money. Now, here's where I'm confident because we've already done the offering. You, Jesus isn't concerned about your money. Jesus is concerned about your mastery. Who has mastery over your heart? Do you, uh, do you have money or does money have you? Do you possess money or does money possess you. Do you use money or does your money use you? These are simple questions, but not simply answered because it's difficult. Uh, when I first became Christian, one of my buddies was like, yeah, money's hard, but it sure does make things go a lot better down here, right? <laughs> while, while, we're, while we're here, money makes things easier. And so the reason that we're talking about this is because First, Jesus talked about it. Did you know that money is the number one topic of Jesus in in all of Scripture? He talks about it more than he talks about faith, more than he talks about sin, more than he talks about heaven. He talks about money. And the reason is because money is the chief competitor for your affections when it comes to God. Because it's easier to trust in money sometimes than it is to trust in God. So money is really a faith question for us. Who do we really trust? So it, it, that's the real question. And, and without guardrails, we can veer off into uh, fear or greed, and we can end up there. Now, greed, just for a simple definition that I'm totally stealing from Andy Stanley, uh, he says it's the consumption assumption, the assumption that it's all here for your consumption. 
If, if that's where you are, then, that, then, then you have exited the, the highway and you are at full speed out in the danger zone. Because believing that everything is here for your benefit, for your consumption, for your use and your use only, that you deserve all of this, then that, that means that you're living as if there is no God. Whether or not you believe in God is not what this is about. This is where you're putting your heart, where your heart is putting your, your mind. And, and, and it's just like Suzanne said earlier, money talks. So where is your faith leading you in this direction? Uh, how are you living according to what God is calling you to? And what's interesting to me is that if you're living... Even if you're living as if there's no God, as if money is the most important thing, what happens is each and every one of us, the moment we run into some kind of financial in- insecurity, some kind of financial catastrophe, what do we do? Oh God, I will be the holiest of all holy people. Please come and help me with this situation. We invite God into our finances when we're sitting there. Now, I, I know this for, for a fact because I have done this, friends. Uh, I, God, please just don't let that check clear before the bank deposits my, my paycheck, right? Does this sound familiar? Well, I was in the Navy at the time, so not recently, because um, I, I don't want to be that bad of an example. Uh, but it's, it's so true that when, when catastrophe happens, God, please just let the car last a little bit longer. Let the tires last. Let it not snow so I don't slide on these terrible tires so I don't have to buy them. Right now, we're praying that our air conditioners and heaters will last because we don't want to pay for them right now. So it's, it's interesting to me that when, when bad things happen financially, that we're just like, oh God, I will do whatever. I will be on the straight and narrow. Lord, I will attend church on Sundays. I will go on Wednesdays if you just help me find 200 bucks on the street, right? <laughs> whatever it takes. And, and what's funny is even, even if we're far from God and when, we're, when we're doing those prayers, we are all about it until the matter's resolved. And then we're like, thank you very much. It's like when I was in high school and I would be like, Dad, I don't have enough money for gas. And he would hand me $20 and I would take it while running out the door. Thank you. I, I get to the door and I, you know, not, that, that was it. So my response to my parents wasn't exactly what, what we would hope. And so what my, my thought is this. If if financially we go to God when we're in a crisis, why wouldn't we go to God before the crisis and say, God, help me to figure all of this out? It's interesting to me because we, we, we think, okay, it's money. I've got to handle it myself instead of saying, God, help me to figure all of this out. Now, this is not a, I, I want you to give 800% to the church and then you know figure the rest out. This is a we need to figure out how we can live according to what God wants us to. What is God calling us to live like? And how can we put our finances where we say our faith is? How can we do all of this? So I, I wanted to, to s- start with this. We need, we need a reprioritization because normally life looks like this. In, in an American household, and that's not I save, I give, that's just hash marks. It just looks like eyes, sorry. Um, but it's live, save, give. Here's what I'm saying. Uh, normally, here you get your paycheck and you're like, well, I need this, I need this, I need this. We got to pay rent. We got to do these things. And then I want this, I want this. And then we say, okay, well, we've got uh, 50 bucks left. We can put that in savings. And oh my gosh, we can give the rest to make a difference. And this is how normally people live. It's live, save, give. Not not what God has in mind for us, right? Because this is 
focusing on me. It's I, 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 I give to myself, and then I save for myself, and then whatever's left, I'll make a difference in the world around me. And what I want to do is I want to refocus us. So I want to use an example from history. There was a, a guy named John Wesley. You may have heard of him. Uh, he's one of my superheroes. He's one of the superheroes in this church for sure because it's a Methodist church. And Wesley started the Methodist movement, and, and, and he, uh, he was the, the father of the Methodist United Methodist Church. We, we all hold Wesleyan theology. Uh, when I was in seminary, we, got, we, we had to. We didn't get to. We had to study all of his, his common sermons. So Wesley had 52 common sermons. Did you know that? Now you do. You are blessed because you know that. Uh, we had to read and read and write a report on each of the 52 sermons. Well, sermon number 50 was a sermon called The Use of Money, which sounds kind of interesting because we know how to use money, right? We were taught that when we were little kids. We saw how to use money. We give it, we get stuff, it's done. So it's interesting that he titles that, and it's a very compelling title, right? No, nobody's going to be like, oh, I want to listen to that on a podcast, right? That's why this is not titled The Use of Money. Um, so the idea, though, is that he said, I-, I want you to understand, as Christians, we need to have a skill around the use of money. Not to, not to just do with whatever we want, but to have a skill around it. So he said this, It is therefore of the highest concern that all who fear God know how to employ this valuable talent. The talent is using the money to build the kingdom of God, using your finances, not to put your faith in your finances, but to put your faith in God first and then see where that takes you. So he gave three rules in this sermon that he wrote. The first one, I think everybody can get on board with because it's super easy. The first one is this, earn all you can. Nobody's sitting back there going, well, I don't like that one at all. Because it's like, okay, I can do that. Now, this is not go and rob a bank. Uh, this is earn all you can. And, and so we can sit there and go, wait a minute, uh, earn all you, oh, that's not too bad. Uh, the second one is save all you can. Okay, I could do that too. Uh, that's not too terrible. Uh, however, what Wesley says is we're saving all we can, not so we can sit like a Scrooge McDuck on top of a pile of gold. Um, maybe y'all don't get that reference, but uh, when I was a kid, Scrooge McDuck was like a Donald Duck's grandfather that... Anyway, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Very miserly, we'll put it that way. Uh, And so he had a pile of gold, and that's not what what God is calling us to, and that's not what Wesley is saying. He's saying, save all you can so that, so that you can give all you can. So Wesley flips it to look more like this, save, give, and then live. Now, this is hard to do. I understand that. This is not me preaching. So you already, I already said, I've got a problem. Pinterest is my problem, knowing what other people have. But this is a lifestyle that will change everything. And I know it's hard. When I was in the Navy, uh, my paycheck would quite frequently run out before the end of the month. I was not very good with money. Who knew? Uh, and, and one month, uh, it, was, it was horrible. It was like six days until my paycheck, and I had no money. So when you have no money, this odd thing happens. People don't normally feed you for free. Uh, And so I had like $6, and I went and bought a ton, because you can do this, a ton of ramen noodles. (laughs) 
Friends, the human body can only survive ramen noodles for about three days. <laughs> then the house is just a horrible mess and everything smells weird. It's no good. You don't have that much, that much salt going in your body. It's just bad news, so don't do that. But here's the deal. I, had, I, had, I, wasn't, I wasn't focused on where it is. And I understand what this is saying. This is saying, say, earn all you can so you can save it, so that you can give it. So this is saying, I want to put others before myself, even with my own finances. And that is terrifying because we're unsure of how, how we're going to do that. I don't know how I'm going to live if I trust God that deeply. What's going to happen? How can this change everything for me. And so we're going to continue by looking at Matthew 6, 25. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, thanks, Jesus. That's very helpful for you to say, but I still don't know how to trust. What does that look like? How can I make that step? And in Matthew 6, 32... I think we hear something amazing. It says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. There is something there that I don't know that we all get, and, and so I want to I show us. When Jesus is saying pagans, uh, there's another movie reference you may or may not get. He's not talking about Tom Hanks in, in a movie where they got leggings and the pagans are the bad people. Uh, I, I don't know why I did that, but it was fun. I'll do it again. Um, so that's not it. If you don't get the movie reference, don't worry about it. But here's the idea. A pagan in the time of Scripture is not, uh, is not what we have in our minds today. A pagan is just somebody that is worshiping a foreign god. So anybody that's worshiping the gods of Rome, they're pagans. Anybody that's worshiping the Babylonian gods, they're pagans. Anybody that's worshiping the Greek gods, any other god other than God is a pagan because they're worshiping a foreign god. Uh, we would say they're worshiping false gods. God would say they're worshiping false gods. So here's the interesting fact about the pagan gods. The pagan gods didn't really care too much about humanity. Humanity wasn't high on their priority list. They didn't move on their own to make a difference to humans in, in their theology uh, and, and in life. So sometimes humans were just there for sport. Sometimes it was entertainment. Sometimes it was whatever the, the, the idea of this pantheon of gods was. And the reason that I'm pointing this out is because they would have to bribe their gods into doing something. So their offerings, the things that they would give were so that their gods would do something in response. You want good things to happen? You've got to do something good for God, for their gods. Now what Jesus is saying is your father in heaven is different from all of that. You don't have to bribe God. God is already moving on your behalf. God is already working to make things better for you. God is already seeking the things that you truly need seeking to bring them to you. And that's what's so powerful about this. So we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice blood. They would cut themselves. They would do human sacrifice. All of these things, trying to get their gods to do something for them. And our God stands already ready to move on our behalf, not waiting for us to say, God, I need you, but already there. And this is the difference that Jesus is telling us about. And he says this, but seek first his kingdom 
and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seeking God's kingdom first. That's what, that's what he says to do. Everything else is going to be gravy. Uh, now, I have, I've lived a little while in life, and I realize that life is never as easy as that, that makes it sound. So it's because my trust issues get in the way, and I, I struggle with that. And my guess is you do as well. But God's kingdom is an other's first kingdom. It's not a kingdom where we sit there and we recognize that God is here and and God is my God and that's all there is to it. But God puts others first. Jesus had this scene when he went to the Last Supper. He had walked with his disciples and he brings them into the upper room. And this is the creator of all things. The word who was with God in the beginning takes the garment off, wraps it around him and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. God's kingdom is an other's first kingdom. God wants our hearts. He wants mastery over our hearts. This doesn't mean that money is bad. This means that letting money master you is bad. This doesn't mean that using money is wrong. It means letting money use you is wrong. And so again, this is not a money grab. This is a where is your heart? How can you align your heart? And what guardrails do you need to put in place so that God can drive you to the ultimate designation, the ultimate goal. Because here's the truth, friends. When we get to heaven and we are sitting around in whatever the new creation looks like, we are not going to be wondering, oh man, I really wish I had that 52-inch TV. We're not going to be going, man, I really wish I had that truck. Although I still really wish I had that truck. But I won't wish it when I'm in it. It's not going to be the same. So let Jesus into your finances before you get into trouble. And, and set guardrails around your heart so that God can help you with this. Because I want you to make sure you master your money. Or your money will master you. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the gifts that you give to us. Thank you for creating this place and, and calling us together and, and putting together this, the building and, and, and the parking lot and, and all of the things that we have. God, let us use them for your glory. Help us to trust. Help us to trust so deeply in you that our hearts are transformed forever. We ask this in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of us agreed and said, Amen. Amen.